Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our reading today is from John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. You may locate this text in your pew Bible on page 975. First, let us prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Dear God, thank you so much for being with us. When we read your word, we remember that your Holy Spirit is in this room and in our hearts. Help us to understand your scripture and live it out in our lives. Amen. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid, Jesus answered. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I've come from and where I'm going but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while he was teaching in the treasury of the temple. But no one arrested him, because his hour had not yet come. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Friends, so we are continuing this sermon series. This is the second of six sermons. These are the I am statements of Jesus Christ. Only in the Gospel of John does Jesus himself say I am, and he fills in the blank. He does this seven times. Last week, you heard our pastor, Melanie, already refer to this. Last week, we read about how Jesus said, I am the bread of the bread of life. He said, whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And you just heard Caitlin read beautifully this passage. This is the second I am statement of Jesus Christ. And I want to set the scene because it's important. Otherwise, I think we miss the significance of this imagery. So this is happening in Jerusalem where Jesus is with his followers. Oh, it's one of the festival days for the Jewish people. 
Leviticus lines out seven great festivals. Of these seven festivals, three of them are called pilgrimage festivals, which means any able-bodied man, wherever he was in the world, had to get back to Jerusalem to be as close as possible to the temple for these three festivals. One of them is the festival happening right now as Jesus is speaking. It's called the Festival of the Tabernacles, the Festival of the Tents. Um, It's recalling to the Hebrew people how as they wandered through the wilderness for how many years? Remember? Oh, good, 40 years. As they wandered for 40 years out of slavery in Egypt on their way to where? Promised land. Very good. They're wandering from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. It took them 40 years. Remember this? One of my good friends who got her PhD from Vanderbilt Divinity School in Old Testament, she says the fact that it took 40 years for the Hebrew people to get to the promised land is clear evidence that even in ancient times, men still would not stop and ask for directions. She said if Miriam had been in charge, it would have been eight years tops, and they would have gotten there to the promised land. The festival of the tabernacles is a wonderful festival that reminds the Hebrew people that while they were wandering in the wilderness, they had no permanent home. So every night they had to set up tents or tabernacles, and they would worship in the tabernacle, and they would sleep there, take it down, move, and camp the next night. It's this amazing, amazing ceremony. Hey, so during the festival of the tabernacles or the festival of the tents, there, there is the temple itself, the Holy of Holies, which is actually a not very large building. It's in the center of the temple complex. It's covered in gold, and this is the dwelling place for God, according to our sisters and brothers of the Jewish heritage, right, the Jewish people. And then there are these courtyards that are adjacent to the Holy of Holies. The largest courtyard is called the Court of Women. It is the only courtyard where women are allowed to worship at the temple. Adjacent to that courtyard is the treasury, and that's where Jesus is speaking. Now, during the festival of tabernacles, what happens in the court of women is these huge, amazing gold lampstands. According to the Gemara, which is part of the ancient Hebrew text, the Gemara says these lampstands, there are four of them, They're placed in the corners of the court of women. They're about 18, 19 feet high, which is higher than this pillar right here, right? So picture that, a gold lampstand, four of them, at the corners of the court of women. On top of these gold lampstands are four huge, large, golden bowls, and those bowls are each filled with oil. Every day during this eight-day festival, the seven nights and the eight days of the festival, priests, usually the younger priests, would be tasked with putting ladders up against these huge, huge lampstands, climbing up those ladders with oil in containers on their backs and filling these huge gold bowls with oil. Dusk would come and they would light these bowls of oil and they would burn throughout the entire night, those seven nights of the Feast of the Tents. The the record says that light was so bright from those four bowls on top of each of those four lamp stands that it would illumine all of Jerusalem. 
Now keep in mind that for most people, oil, which is this day and age, is palm oil. It's precious. And only the very, very wealthy would dare to burn palm oil at night. So for most of the people, when it got to be dark, the day was over, except during the festival of the tabernacles. The description from the Gemara says, the light from Jerusalem, from those four lampstands, was so bright, it glowed in the night sky. And people who were at the coast could see the light coming from Jerusalem during those seven nights. That is 47 miles away. That's how bright the light was during the festival of tents, the festival of tabernacles. And it's at that moment in the treasury right next to the court of women that Jesus says his second I am statement. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. For Jesus to say, I am the light of the world in the midst of the Feast of the Tabernacles, right next to the court of women, where those huge lampstands are being filled with oil in preparation for that night's celebration, that's an extraordinary statement for our Lord to make. That's the context for the second I am. There's an amazing thing about light in the midst of darkness, about the power of light. Keep in mind, in the ancient world, we didn't have street lights. There was no light pollution, if you will. The vast world was dark, except for select places. And so for seven nights during the Feast of the Tents, Jerusalem would glow and be seen for miles and miles around. It's at this moment that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. There is comfort in light. There's wonder in light. There is power in light. So, I'm second of four boys, a number of you know, and uh, from the early days, both our mom and dad loved tent camping, and they would take us camping all the time. We grew up, of course, in Hawaii, and they would take us to the beaches, and we camped there. Then we moved to Seattle and discovered an amazing place called Mount Rainier National Park. During the summers, we would go camping there. We would spend at least a week, in some cases, two weeks there camping having a marvelous time. For boys, it was a great and amazing time. We'd play during the day. We'd go on hikes. It was an incredible, wonderful time growing up there at Mount Rainier National Park. During some point of that week camping there, there would be a time when Dad would tell us, hey, boys, let's go on a night hike. And we'd be like, okay, let's go, Dad, on a night hike. Interestingly enough, he would always choose a night when it was cloudy, so there was no moonlight. And dad would say, hey, let's just us go together. We're going to leave mom behind. And we would say, well, wouldn't mom be lonely without us? And dad would say, no, boys, she will not be lonely. I guarantee you. It's midweek. We've been doing this for four days. Your mom will not be lonely. She'll be just fine. And we'd be like, okay, okay, mom, we're going to go on a night hike. And she would say, great, go, take a long time. 
I'll never forget the scene is mom reading her Reader's Digest condensed book by a Coleman lantern light, the kind that you have to pump up to make as bright as possible. She'd be sitting under a yellow and blue awning that covered the table. That would be the last light we would see as dad let us off on this night hike. Our father, his four sons, offspring, He would tell us, and this is how you know we are not the brightest of God's children, he would tell us, boys, you know, I have my big Coleman lantern here, the one with that big square battery. Why don't you leave your flashlights behind? Because I've got mine. It'll be fine. We're like, okay, Dad. And we'd leave our flashlights behind, and he would have his big lantern. He'd be showing us around. We'd be going down, taking left turns, right turns. Eventually, we could not see Mom anymore. It's pitch dark in front of us. He's showing us around the lantern. And he would say, you know, boys, interestingly enough, it's just on these kind of cloudy nights when you really can't see anything that a one-eyed grizzly bear likes to roam around Mount Rainier National Park. And we'd be like, well, a one-eyed grizzly bear? Yes, boys, a mean, old, one-eyed grizzly bear likes to roam around Mount Rainier National Park on these kinds of nights. Well, Dad, how did he lose an eye? Yeah, the story goes, boys, that a Japanese-American little boy threw a rock at him when he was growing up, and it took out his eye. A a, a Japanese-American boy? Yes. Ever since then, this one-eyed grizzly bear, he hates Japanese-American little boys. He does, yeah. But but, but maybe, Dad, it was an accident. No, boys, I don't think it was an accident. I think that little Japanese-American boy years ago, he aimed for his eye, and so he took out that grizzly bear's eye. Grizzly bears have a long memory, longer than elephants. They remember, and he's not a good grizzly bear. He's mad. In fact, he likes to eat little Japanese-American boys. He, he, he does? Well, that's not very nice. Well, I know, but for him, it's actually okay because he thinks that since Japanese-American boys eat so much fish, you know, sushi and things, that it's sort of like automatic surf and turf when he eats one of little Japanese-American boys because you have flesh and you have fish. It's a great meal. He said, okay, okay. But he, he, he's not around. No, he's not around. He just likes to roam around every once in a while, but I don't think he's anywhere near here. No. Okay, good. good. And, and we're safe. Yeah, oh, boys, we're safe. We're safe. And then our father for whom we are his offspring, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, he would turn off his lantern. And he'd be, boy, it is, it is the oddest, I just, I thought I put a new battery in here, boy, it is the strangest thing, this isn't working anymore. Well, that's odd. But, uh, yeah, yeah, dad, dad, we can't see you. I know, that is the darndest thing, boys, golly. And then our father, who, who for whom we are his offspring, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And then dad, standing there in the dark with his sons, he, he would take a stone that he had put in one of his coat pockets and he would throw it into the woods off to our right. And we would hear this noise and we would, st- uh, dad, did you hear that? Would, I did. I, boy, that was loud. Well, Well, what was that? I don't know, but whatever it was, it sounded awfully big and it sounded awfully close. Well, yeah, but what what could it be? I don't know, boys, but golly, it sounded like a grizzly bear. That's what I'm thinking. Well, well, but you said he wouldn't. I don't know, but it sounded like a one-eyed grizzly bear to me. 
And then dad would take a second stone in his other pocket and throw it into that same area, and we would be startled, and we would move away. Did you, dad, did you hear that? Did, did you he, dad, did you hear? And then our father, for whom we are his offspring, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, in the midst of his sons, he would stop talking. Dad, well, dad, did you hear? Dad, 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 are you? Where are, Dad, did you, where are you? And Gar, who is the third one down, Garfield, the third one down, has always had this sort of Eeyore personality. Garfield's the first one to speak, and he would say, he has been eaten. <laughs> and we're, oh, Gar, what, what do you mean? I think we are now half orphans, and, and I think Mom is a widow. Garfield, stop talking, because I think that grizzly bear ate Dad. No, he didn't. No, he didn't, Garfield. And at this point, Brandon, who's the youngest, starts to cry because he doesn't want to be a half-orphan. So Brandon is wailing and saying, Dad, I don't want Dad to be eaten. I don't want to be a half-orphan. I don't, I don't want to tell Mom she's a widow. Brandon, stop it. Garfield's not trying. He's just stop it. He's already gone. I think he's been eaten. Garfield, stop talking. And then Jason would try grab Garfield to make him stop talking, and I would try grab Brandon, and then we would find each other. Our father, meanwhile, unbeknownst to us, had moved away from us and is standing there. Years later, we found out he was trying to stifle himself from laughing out loud as we would run. Oh, my goodness, we would run, the four of us. We'd be tripping over trees and rocks. We would be running into branches We'd be going left and right in the pitch darkness, no idea where we were going, convinced we were being followed by a one-eyed grizzly bear in Mount Rainier National Park, convinced that Dad had been eaten and we were next. And then we would turn a corner and miracle of miracles, we would see the glow of this yellow and blue awning And we would see our mom sitting there reading her Reader's Digest condensed book by the light of that Coleman lantern. And we'd come running out of the dark and we would pile ourselves onto our mother because surely even a one-eyed grizzly bear cannot attack you when you are attached to your mother. (laughs) We'd be on her and she would ask us one question she would say, boys, where is your father? At which point Eeyore would say, he's been eaten and you are now a widow. (laughs) And she would say, no, really, where is your father? And at this point, and this is how you know we are not the brightest of God's children, dad would suddenly appear out of the trees and we would run up to him and say, you're alive! Oh, dad, we're so glad you're safe. And we would hug him and we're crying. And mom would say, Dick, we need to go talk in the tent. (laughs) And dad would say, Alice, I don't know what happened. One moment they were there and the next moment they're gone. You know how they can be, Alice. It just is a mystery. I will never forget, I'll never forget turning a corner and miracle of miracles seeing the glow of this yellow and blue awning. I'll never forget seeing the light in the midst of the darkness. Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, one word to us to be careful. Sadly, John's gospel, some of the words he uses, they've been misconstrued and mischaracterized. Some of John's arguments against the Jews in his writing has sadly been used as a source of anti-Semitism. Sadly, John's gospel, his use of light and darkness has been used by racists to say that light and therefore light-skinned people are good and dark and therefore dark-skinned people are bad. That is not what John's gospel says. What John's gospel is saying is that Jesus Christ, the one whom we claim to be Lord and Savior. He is the bread of life, the bread that comes from heaven. And whoever comes to him will never be hungry. Whoever believes in him will never be thirsty. John's gospel is saying, Jesus himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, whatever you are hungering for or thirsting for, whatever struggles and shadows we are facing in these days, you trust this. Oh, please trust this. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.